notes with me to John chapter 3. I am convicted by my own prayer. I'm convicted by my own prayer today, saints. My heart is convicted. I'm under the conviction of the Holy Spirit even right now as I talk to you. I am convicted. Because John chapter 3 is a familiar passage to all of us. And yet even as I prayed, the reality of it grew in my heart. The the depth of it went to a place that I had not yet pondered in quite some time. Am I born of the Spirit? Am I born of the Spirit? Just think about that. We preach it so often. We say it like we know it. We go out and share it on the streets, and I praise God for it. But we have to be honest with ourselves, examine ourselves. Am I born of the Spirit? Does the Spirit of God reside in me? There's nothing wrong with giving a resounding yes and amen to it. You don't have to be quiet in this Presbyterian, I mean Pentecostal church this morning. I'm just telling you I'm under conviction. Is Joe Y. Rostick born of the Spirit? As a part of my duties as your pastors, I, as your pastor, I spend my time engaging in different religions and cults and belief systems. I'm constantly being challenged by their heretical and demonic understandings of things so that I can better train you to reach them when we do evangelism training and discipleship training and so forth. And I could tell you for one thing, one thing is for sure, deception is deceiving to those who are deceived. When you listen to a Muslim recite his prayers in Arabic, though he doesn't know a stitch of it, couldn't order hummus in Arabic, but he's learned it in Arabic. When you hear him pray it and you see tears coming down his eyes, he believes in that. When you sit and talk with Mormons, seeing them perspire for riding their bikes in the heat of the day, and you ask them, do you believe that Joseph Smith is a prophet? They will become emotional and deeply moved as they share with you a testimony about a burning in their bosom that has confirmed to them the reality of that demonic lie. When you talk to people who have had transformations through new age gurus, self-help seminars, And they begin to tell you about their life and how they were addicted to vaping. And as a businessman, they had no purpose in life and the money wouldn't satisfy. But it was this book, this Tony Robinson seminar. They believe it. And yet we look at it as vapor, as a stench. We look at it as the filth of this world. When you hear a Muslim pray... In Arabic, do you sense the presence of God? I'm disgusted. Even though there's a beauty of the rhythmic nature to it, I'm disgusted that a demon is receiving that worship. I'm disgusted by it. When I meet those nice young men and women who have rode their bikes and have preached their false gospel, and they get emotional over their stories of the burning of their bosom and of the reality that they have of Joseph Smith. I am grieved because I know that Joseph Smith was a wretched, wicked, filthy, false prophet. And if he himself did not repent, he is in hell right now. And I am repulsed by every perversion that comes across the bookshelves, the Kindles, the seminars that presents man as a godlike figure that all he or she needs to do is tap within to their godlikeness and their lives will change. I am disgusted by those things because my eyes have been opened, right? Or is it possible that I myself am deceived and I can't see their truth? You see, I believe that the Spirit of God is in me. And I believe that changes things. So if they were to interview us, say someone being neutral, and they were to say, Well, sir, you believe in Jesus. And he's the Son of God. And and, and this one here believes in Muhammad. 
And then this one here believes in Joseph Smith. Let's say they're being neutral, which we know no person is neutral. But let's say they were neutral and said, why should I believe you over them? You shed a tear, you dance a dance. They shed a tear, dance a dance. You say it's emotional, they say it's emotional. You say the teachings have changed your life, they say the teachings have changed their life. Now, of course... We believe that their emotions and their experiences could be tested to be found false as well. But I'm saying to the neutral onlooker, what would you say then? I would come to a place of personal experience that I would lay my life down upon. And I would say it is because November 5th, 1995... The risen Lord Jesus Christ came into my heart, and I became born again. This man's prophet is still in a grave. This one died. We know where he's buried. And I know for sure this one's not God because I can see all the imperfections in them, upon them, and around them. Now, at this point, good sir, this is what I would say to the interviewer. That is up to you what you believe. But I believe if you hear these words from this person I believe to be God in the flesh, you too will be born of God. And there will be nothing that can teach you or convince you otherwise. I've been born of God. Have you been born of God? Do you know that you know you've been born of God? Because there's a lot of religious experiences out here in this world. There's a lot of false doctrines and teachings in this world that will produce temporary benefit for your life. There was one man that was commenting on one of our posts that said, "Um, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work. I still couldn't get married. Now, if he said it publicly, I'm going to rebuke him publicly. He should be happy I'm not naming his name. Are you listening? put it under one of our posts, a former attendee here, and said, God seems to be someone that depends upon my personality to be able to do good in life because I'm still alone, I'm still without a wife, so forth and so on. Listen to me, you fool, in Jesus' name. You fool. You fool. Listen to your pastor call you a fool. I speak to him, and I speak to anyone else who feels that way, you fool. The God of heaven and earth has created you, and you shake your fist in his face because of something you feel you are owed in this world by the creator of the universe. You have put a condition upon the God who spoke and said, let there be light, and light has not stopped traveling across a universe that has not yet been found to have an end. And you, as a speck of dirt upon this earth, will now call his character into question because you have not had your wish come true. Hell is your home. Hell was made for you. Until you repent of your vile wickedness, you shall find your home in hell. For that is at the very root of all rebellion. God gives us a garden, gives us a universe. I could be here all day talking about what God gave Adam and Eve, molecular structure to hold the atom together so that they were not floating off into space as a glob of jello. God gave them eyes to see, ears to hear, a tongue to taste, a nose to smell, hands to touch and to grab, feet to walk and to have mobility, thoughts of a sound mind to make sense of the world, food to eat, a relationship with God to have, animals to enjoy, marriage and the bounty of it, praise God, and the blessing of it to indulge in, and yet they, 
they come to this tree that God has said you shall not eat of. And they desire it. That is why the devil is not just going to hell. This is also why humans are going to hell. The devil has his own judgment coming upon him. But it was humans that desired it first. And you could almost see it as if everything would be brought to them and they would be saying, it's not enough, it's not enough. It's, it's, it's not enough that you've given me all of these other trees to eat and the fruit to eat. It's not enough that I have a marriage that is blessed and bountiful. It is not enough you've given us a world and a universe. And it's not enough that you come and fellowship with us. I want more. And I want it. I want it. And this devil says I can have it. Give it to me. Give it to me. That is the heart of every rebellious person that's ever been upon this earth. And so fools speak back to their creator demanding more. When I'm about ready to read to you Probably the most beautiful scripture, if there would be a one that would be greater than the others, all inspired by God and breathed of the Spirit. I'm about ready to read to you a scripture that is greater than all that man could ever conceive in philosophy and science and religion. I'm about ready to read to you a scripture that encapsulates, you know, it, it takes on the whole story of humanity. And at the center of it, beyond man's wickedness and rebellion, which we have all done and fallen short of his glory of God, and how great is this fall? This is like a fall out of an airplane and you trying to grab clouds, cobwebs, and sand to stop to the scent. We have fallen and we have fallen so badly, nothing can save. Parachutes made out of filthy rags. And yet, Christ came to where we fell, took the wrath that we deserved. And if that were not enough, which it would be, just to know that you were saved from the wrath of God, he goes one step further and offers to every single one of us a regeneration, a new birth, a spiritual life. Oh, to be born again. To know a new life. Birthed by the Spirit of God. A flame birthing another fire. You have been born of the Spirit like a fire can birth another fire. You have come from the divine. Not to be confused with being in your ontological nature the divine but you have come from, birth out of, produced from, interwoven with the Holy Spirit. Now, do you understand when missionaries go to foreign lands and they preach what I'm about ready to preach to you here from John chapter 3? That people give up their idols. People give up their false prophets. Even to the pains of death and of persecution from their governments. That they'll do whatever it takes to have that pearl of great price. Because there is nothing like the story that you're about ready to hear right now. And oh to God that Joe Wyrostek would never take it for granted that from the youngest to the oldest, we would understand the great privilege that we have. For who is man 
that you are mindful of them. Why do you care about us so? You could have left us in our own wickedness and in our own demise. But, oh, Father, you sent the Son out of love so that we would not perish. But by believing upon him, trusting him, we would have everlasting zoe. Everlasting life, life abundant, life without end, life full of glory, life full of joy and peace and all the wonderful things of God in which all of us here who have ever tasted of marriage would say to that man, you fool, I've been married and I can tell you marriage is not the most important gift. It's being born of God. And we would say to anyone here complaining, oh, I don't have money. And if God was real, I would have money. We would say, you fool, I have had money. And there's nothing that compares with money compared to the loving nature of God on the inside of me, being born of his presence. We would all say with money in our pockets, wives and children and jobs and education, we would all say to this world, you fools. You are trading the eternal for the temporary. You are trading a Chicago dirty, filthy pothole for the beauties of the lake and the ocean. You are trading this damnable life fit for destruction. You are trading it for the glories of heaven, pleasures at his right hand, and joys forevermore. Are you ready for John chapter 3, verse 1? Today, may it come alive in all of our hearts. Praise God. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. We're going through on first services, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of John. We're introduced now to a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who is a part of the ruling council. All three of those things are meaningful. He's a Pharisee. That means he has a certain set of beliefs. His name is Nicodemus, which means when someone is named in the Scripture, they are important. They have a reputation. This book is not one of myth. This is an actual person that when the Gospel of John was going around, people would be able to research who is that person. So this is not a mythological story. This is a real person that had status at that time, and the status came from him being in the Jewish ruling council. In, in other words, he was a judge. He was the one that made decisions. He had power and authority. But notice here where he comes, verse, th verse 2, he came to Jesus at night. So all of those things, his prominence, his, his wisdom to be a Pharisee, all the doctrines that he understood and the rulership that he has, he comes sheepishly by night. He doesn't want anybody to know really that he has questions for this man because Jesus has captured his heart. You'll learn more about Nicodemus as you go through the story. But at the end, he's there with Joseph of Arimathea. Praise God, I believe Nicodemus gets saved. But this is how his story starts. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Here we see uh, you know, Nicodemus kind of pulling back the bravado that we have seen through the Jewish ruling leaders. They're, they're playing tough on the outside. They have a problem with Jesus. They're, they're acting like they're confused and they don't understand. But Nicodemus comes and kind of takes away the veil and says, Hey, hey, Jesus, we all know that you came from God. Uh, no one could be doing all of these things unless they came from God. You could almost hear him say, you know, this one denies you because he didn't like that you called him out about such and such a thing. And this one pretends he hates you and that he's, he's got questions for you. But that's only because you offended him when you rebuked him. You know, because we know, we know you have come from God. I like how he speaks on the plural and kind of breaks down their hearts. As we go through the book of John, we'll see that it's actually not Jewish leaders not knowing or believing in God that comes uh, in Jesus that, that brings up all the problems. It's actually their suppression. 
And if you've ever been wrong and knew that you were wrong but weren't willing to admit that you were wrong, how many know you could have an attitude with those who were pointing out your wrong? Come on, marriage. Just let me get some amens from husbands and wives here. Any teenagers willing to keep it real in the house? You know that you're wrong. You, you feel like at some point you're going you're gonna to admit that you're wrong, but you're not ready to do it yet. So you're taking it out on those who are bringing up those wrongs. That's what I think is happening with the Jewish people. I think there's an inner conflict. I think they're suppressing the knowledge of God. And yet we hear Nicodemus say, I know you're from God. So do my friends, because you're performing these signs. And this would not be happening unless God was with this person. You know, a person couldn't do this unless they had God on their side. Now look at Jesus going right to the point. He's not here just to take the accolades of Nicodemus. He's not here to cut, you know, religious or political deals with him. He says to him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now you have to understand for Jesus to have said this to Nicodemus, this is automatically assuming Nicodemus is not born again. So Nicodemus doesn't have what Jesus is now considering being born again. So that means everything that Nicodemus had done in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant had a purpose. It had a place. Let us not look down upon them. Thank God for Pharisees and that they weren't wicked Greeks worshiping multiple gods or the Hindus or the Machu Picchus here in, the, in South America. Are you listening? Aren't you happy for Pharisees? They preserved the Word of God. They fought in the Maccabean battles between the book of Malachi and Matthew. There were battles that Jewish people fought for freedom. So I thank God they weren't wicked like my ancestors, the Italians or the Greeks or the, or the different people of Europe or South and Central America or Asia. These Pharisees had an understanding of God beyond all of those religions. Yet Nicodemus did not have what Jesus was talking about. He was not born again. So now we have to ask the theological question, could they have been born again in the Old Testament and Nicodemus just hadn't done what he was supposed to do to have been born again? Or is being born again something that only happens in the New Testament? That's a theological question, isn't it? Makes you now go back over the scriptures and wonder what's going on. Being born again, as we are going to understand, is a spiritual rebirth. As man was created, body, soul, and spirit, and in the garden we believe his spiritual nature died, being born again is going to speak to a spiritual nature coming alive. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit, not by flesh. We'll learn that in just a moment. But the question is, were they born again, David, Solomon, anybody who did something righteous, Elijah, were these men and women born again then? And Nicodemus hadn't done what they did, and therefore he needs to be born again according to his covenant, and then a new covenant will come and will be born again in those ways. In other, in other words, there's a way to be born again in the old covenant, and there's a way to be born again in the new covenant. Is that what Jesus is saying? Or, as what I believe, is Jesus saying to him, this was impossible in the old covenant. No one ever had it. And you've done all that you can to be a righteous Jew and to live according to the righteous laws of the Israelites. But this is something new that you never could have had. That's what I believe. Being born again is a new covenant promise. I'll show you why I believe that in just a few moments. But either way, Nicodemus is not born again. Jesus says he has to be if he wants to see the kingdom of God. Seeing the kingdom of God was what every Jewish person wanted to see. They wanted to see the kingdom of God. That's what they ate, slept, and drank every day for. They went to work for that. They went to their religious festivals for that. To them, the kingdom of God was someone coming in the line of David as a king, conquering the enemies of Israel, and then ruling and reigning in Jerusalem over all the nations of the world. That was the kingdom of God to them. That was their understanding. Were they wrong? Not very much. Only one part that we would have to adjust is that all the nations would have a chance to be a part of the ruling class, not just being ruled over. But is that not the kingdom of God? The Messiah ruling and reigning on earth over the nations from Jerusalem? So that part was right. What did they have mistaken about the kingdom of God is that first their king would be a suffering servant born of a major. 
to then suffer and die on a cross to bring in those nations as well as the Jewish people because we know the blood of animal sacrifice truly couldn't forgive. It was just a shadow of Christ to come. So that suffering servant had to give his blameless, spotless life as a lamb. That's where they missed it, the lamb of God portion. Now they only saw the lion, but Jesus had to come as a lamb. Can I hear an amen? And now we know why in the earlier parts of John chapter 1, John the Baptist is calling out to Jesus as the Lamb of God. He's not calling him the Lion of God. He's not quite ready yet to understand that the King of Kings is going to do X, Y, and Z thing upon the earth. At that point, John the Baptist understood the Lamb has to come first. And so John the Baptist prepares the way. Nicodemus might have heard this kind of language, but he's still not yet clear. Jesus now says to him, if he wants to see the kingdom of God, the part that he was talking about, the ruling and reigning of the Messiah, if he wants to see that, he has to be born again to come on in. Now look at the profound words of this scholar. Look at the profound words he says in response to Jesus, saying you have to be born again. How can someone be born When they are old, Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. (laughs) So this just shows you right here that it doesn't matter how religious and how smart you are, the things of God can go right over your head unless you're willing to humble yourself like a child. He thought to himself, Is this how the rebirth is going to happen? I'm going to go back home as a grown man, talk to my mom, and say, I'm coming home, mama. Is that how being born again is going to function here? And Jesus now gives him the profound but yet very practical answer. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. But verse 6, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to what? Spirit, thank you. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it is going, where it comes from, or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Everybody say, born of the Spirit. Thank you. Let us talk a few moments about this. Nicodemus, he says that ridiculous statement. You know, he almost says it in a way that he knows that's not what it is, but he's still kind of throwing it out there almost like, is it that? I'm not sure, but let me just make sure, you know. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but can you take away any doubts here? I want to know what you're saying, Jesus. And then Jesus explains it very simply. We'll go to the water and spirit part in just a moment because that's where different Christians have discussions. But look at verse 6 and 7. Flesh gives birth to flesh. So whatever happens when a person is born again, will it happen according to the flesh? No, so whatever happens according to Jesus when you are born again, will it be by the flesh? Yes or no? No. He says, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So what kind of birth will this be? What kind of rebirth, second birth will this be? A fleshly rebirth or a spiritual rebirth? Spiritual. That is what Jesus is teaching. A spiritual rebirth. And then he gives the example of wind. And all of us today can relate to this. When we go outside in the windy city and we feel the wind, we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. But we do our best to manage it. If you're a sailor and you're going to go out and sail on the Lake Michigan, you do your best to make your guess. But those winds can change at any moment. And if you look at all of our weather patterns, they have to do with wind and atmosphere and see how often we're correct with our Dopplers and all those things that we have. We're still not too good at predicting the patterns of wind and atmosphere. And yet we understand that wind will do what it does. And we can operate with the wind. We can hear the wind. We can feel the wind. 
He is saying that's what the Spirit is going to be like. You may not have all the understanding of the Spirit, the mystery of the Spirit, how the Spirit works in all of these different ways, but if you're sensitive to the Spirit like one would be to wind on a sail ship, you know, you can see or hear or feel where the Spirit is going and be led by the Spirit, be empowered by the Spirit. You can have the presence of the Spirit move you and lead you through life. Can I hear an amen? And so the spiritual rebirth is going to be what the Christian or the new covenant believer, the Christ follower, will be marked with. You will not just be marked with having a religion. You will not just be marked with having a ceremony. You will not just be marked by having a set of beliefs, though these things may be a part of Christianity. We have beliefs. We have ceremonies. In one sense, we have religion. True and undefiled religion is taking care of orphans and widows. But the determining factor, that which is most important and should be prioritized, is the rebirth. Have you been born again? This is the question we need to ask everyone. And even those of us who have been born again, we need to ask each other to see if we are living as Christ has called us to live. Now let's go to the toughest part of our passage today. I'll spend just a few moments here where he says that, you know, if you want to be born again and enter the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, you got to be born of water and of spirit. Everybody understands what spirit is, but the water has caused great discussion and debate over the years. Some people say it's the water of baptism, that unless you're baptized, you don't receive the spirit. But is that commanded or taught anywhere here in the book of John? Are we told that the Spirit is given anywhere here in the book of John? Of course not. I'll answer it for you. I've read the book of John. How many have read it before? And even Jesus, when he's baptized in the water, is that when he gets the Spirit is in the water? Or is it after he has been baptized, we see the Spirit ascending or descending on him? So it's afterwards. So it's not in connection to the water. Another uh, example that people have given is that the water represents the birth canal. That in one sense, we have to be born human. Angels cannot be born again because they are not born from a birth canal where the water breaks. Have you ever thought about why angels don't get a second chance? For angels to get a second chance, like we would have a second chance, they would need redemption for their sins at the cross. It would have to count for them, and Hebrews says it doesn't. And then to this point, they would have to receive a new nature. And yet Jesus says only those who would get a new nature are those who have broken the water of the birth canal. So in other words, angels, your sins are not atoned for, and you do not have a chance at a new nature. That has been what people have taught, and I am very close to that belief. I actually think that that belief can have something to do with what's being taught here. But it's not the one that I settle on. And since I have the microphone, I'll tell you which one is right. Are you ready for which one is right? You can argue with me about it as long as you take me where? Red lobster, your pain, and then I can hear all your explanations about what you think the water is. I think the water is the washing of the Word of God. I think the Word of God is that component which is being compared to as water, and it is that which the Holy Spirit uses to rebirth us. So I do have a lot in common with that second belief that there's something about the birth canal, there's something special about being a human, that Jesus gives us rebirth that angels don't have, but I see greater than that the illustration throughout the Scriptures that the Spirit uses something to rebirth us. In other words, the Spirit does not just come by Himself to rebirth us. He comes with with the words of Jesus. He comes with what he has heard from Jesus, and then he rebirths us in the power that he has been given by the word of Jesus. Are you all ready? All right. Let's go now to our scriptures. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Have you been born by the word and the spirit? That's how I would take that. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 we see a command given to, uh, to husbands to their wives. And notice uh, what it says here. 
that husbands must do in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with what? With the washing of what? Water through the what? The word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He washes the church. Jesus washes the church with water through the what? The word. That should settle it right there, right there. Amen? That's good preaching right there. Amen? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, but it gets better. Two or three witnesses, every doctrine will be established. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter, looking back on the born-again experience that his disciples have experienced, he says to them, now that you have purified yourselves. Notice the language of purification also that we heard in Ephesians, the washing language. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring what? Word of God. So we saw in Ephesians the language of water and washing connected to the word. In 1 Peter, I dare to say we see it again with the word purification, and now we see the term born again connected to the word of God. Do you see it there? It is the word of God that makes us alive and rebirths us by the power of the Spirit. It is the Word of God that washes us and cleanses us. Now, let me just show you one more passage in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 is this prophecy towards the future for God's people, and this is why I believe that being born again was not something they experienced in the Old Covenant but was a promise for those in the new covenant. Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 25. The scripture reads, I will sprinkle clean water on you. See, this is a promise for them, isn't it? <clears throat> Excuse me, how many know Ezekiel's towards the end of the Old Testament? How many know this is now a promise for what? The New Testament. The Bible says this is a promise for the New Testament in another place. But here's the promise. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Going back to John chapter 3, verse 5, what do I believe being born of the water and the spirit is? I believe the water is the word and the spirit is the spirit of God applying that word to our hearts. One other place now in the New Testament Titus chapter 3, verse 3. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, we'll see the same language again of the washing, and we'll see the regeneration being brought up, and I believe this will settle it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, or excuse me, Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, for the context. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and, and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous thing we have done. And wouldn't that include baptism and so forth or righteous works? He says, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of what? Of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I don't see any mention of baptism 
I don't see any mention of being born as a child through the birth canal, but I see the language of spirit and word continually from the Old Testament to the New Testament being used in the context of rebirth, washing, purification, salvation. This is the rebirth of God. And so what it means for us today is that when we hear the word of God being spoken and we believe, that faith brings the Holy Spirit or opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to regenerate us, to change us, and to make us new. I rebuke this sound system in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll keep preaching, but listen, it's the Holy Spirit that does it through the word of God. So now everybody get this. If you don't believe the word of God, the spirit won't rebirth you. If you do not believe the word of God, the spirit will not rebirth you. You cannot be born again another way outside of believing the word of God. So those who mock and ridicule the word of God cannot be born again. They are blaspheming the Holy Spirit who speaks the word of God. And by blaspheming the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness of their sins. Does everybody understand that sin now? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to not only attribute miracles by the Holy Spirit to Satan, but to attribute any work of the Holy Spirit to Satan or to someone other than God. To discredit the Holy Spirit is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So the Word of God comes by the Holy Spirit. Conviction comes by the Holy Spirit. So anytime an atheist denies that Holy Spirit or rejects the Holy Spirit's truth or what he is hearing by the Holy Spirit coming through the Word of God, that atheist, that agnostic, that Muslim, whoever or she may be, they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit and cannot be forgiven. Are you with me today? And now listen to what Nicodemus says in verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Jesus said, you're Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? I believe that's because he was supposed to understand the references to Ezekiel. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Why is Jesus all of a sudden speaking in the plural? Is he just using the majestic we like the queen would say, we are not amused? Who is he speaking on behalf of when he says we? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John chapter 8, we don't have time to get there. Verse 18 says, I am a witness and my Father is a witness. The Father and Son witness and the Holy Spirit witnesses. And so he says, we are talking to you. So in other words, the Father has spoken and you're not listening. The Holy Spirit has spoken, you're not listening. I am speaking and you are not listening. Verse 12, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe it if I speak of heavenly things? And how many know John the Revelator got some heavenly things to speak of? Amen. That was a revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. Amen. Look at verse 13, and this is why I believe the Old Testament saints were not yet born again because they were not yet in heaven. They were in Abraham's bosom, a place of paradise, not a purgatory. They were in place of total joy and bliss, not being cleansed of sins, but waiting for the born-again nature to come to them, which if I had time, I would get into. But hear what, John, uh, uh, what Jesus says here in John three thirteen: No one has ever gone into heaven. If Elijah had gone into heaven, Jesus would be lying right now. If Enoch had gone into heaven, Jesus would be lying right now. Jesus clearly right now says no one at that time has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So where is Enoch? Enoch is in paradise, Abraham's bosom, waiting during the time of the burial for the blood to be applied to the throne, for a regeneration and born again to happen to them, and for them to be ushered into the presence of the Lord. I could take my time and bring you into Peter and to Ephesians and to show you that he who led captivity captive is Jesus leading those out of uh, Abraham's bosom into the presence of the Lord. And then at his ascension, he then sends down gifts, the fivefold ministry, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so forth. But notice this, no one has gone there. So I'm telling you what I know because I can tell you no one else has been there except the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted it up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
So in the time of Moses, there was a plague that came across the land. God said, take a staff, put a serpent on it, and then hold it up to the people. And whoever looks at that serpent on a staff will be healed. Which healing or uh, which hospital people have that with a staff and then a serpent around? Which one is that? Mount Sinai? No, but I'm talking about an actual group. Is it the Red Cross? Yeah, someone look it up for me. I just wanted you to see that as a sign of health. That has been used even to this day. Thank you. Blue Cross and Blue Shield, the serpent around the staff. Jesus said, as they looked to that and were healed, you will be, you will be saved, spiritually healed, when you look to him. Why is now the serpent what we're looking to? I thought the serpent was the devil. Think about that. Is that witchcraft? No, God commanded it, so it's not witchcraft. To put a serpent on a staff, thank you, to put a serpent on a staff and all who look to it will be healed. It's not witchcraft. God commanded it. Jesus reinforces it. So what is the serpent? The serpent is the curse of sin coming upon Jesus on the cross. Because doesn't the Bible say, cursed is him that hangs on a tree? So there, Jesus Christ takes our sins. He doesn't become sin, not in the sense as a sinner, but he will become a curse and in that way become sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, not as a one sinning and breaking the law of God and becoming a sinner, but he will become a serpent of cursing. He will become the cursed one on the tree because the curses of us will be put upon him. And there he will break the curse. There he will break the power of the serpent. That's Jesus' example. Sorry if that makes you feel uncomfortable. He said, as the serpent was lifted up on command of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as that serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and all those who look upon him will be given eternal life. Let's put the scripture, John 3.16, let's read it together now. We can read it in this version. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but he have eternal life. Vinny, would you come, please? I'll preach the rest of this by God's grace next week. How many are glad you came to church today? How many of you are glad today that you're born again, if you have been born again? How many are? Amen. And you're glad that you are? You have assurance of your salvation? Amen. Next week we'll talk about what it means to be born again, how that life impacts everything that we do, come for practical applications. But as we get ready to close out this service, I want to encourage you. As I felt so strongly convicted in the first uh, part of this service, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. Examine whether or not you be in Christ today. Because if Nicodemus, as religious as he was, could not be born again, was not born again as he was in that state, there could be those of you here being religious, but yet you're not born again. And those of us here who have at once been born again, let us not take for granted what Christ has done in our hearts. I don't believe we can lose salvation like my wife loses her phone. My wife loses her phone on average one to two times a day. Find My Phone app is my favorite app and most used app. You could probably just check right now. It gets used the most. We have to go there, find my phone, push the button. Boop, boop. Oh, it's in the kitchen. Boop, boop. Oh, it's in your purse, okay? Now, granted, my wife homeschools, has six children, me to take care of, and helps in the church and teaches in the Bible school. Praise God. But once again, someone cannot lose their salvation like my wife loses her phone. Salvation is not really lost, it's given back. But the part about losing that I do still use, and I like that it points out this perspective, is that there are times when you lose something and you don't know how or where you lost it. This is why I still use that language. Because you can be here today outside of Christ, not even knowing that you are outside of Christ, not knowing where you lost your relationship with Christ or how you did. In other words, isn't it the worst feeling when you feel like, I forgot my phone and I don't know where it's at. But there was a time you were walking around thinking you had your phone. How many have ever been there before? You, you thought you had it. You're already at the grocery store. 
You thought you had it. If I would have asked you and put you on a lie detector test, I said, stop just right where you are. Don't touch any part of your body. Answer this question right now as we hook you up. Do you or do you not have your phone on you? You would say, I do have my phone on you uh, on me. And I would ask Maury Povich, and he would say, that's not a lie. Are you listening? He would say, that's not a lie. This person believes they have their phone on them. But the truth of the matter is, if you had forgotten it at home, do you have it on you? No. And so that reason, I like using the word lost as well. You can lose your salvation in the sense of not knowing where you misplaced your relationship with God because over time your heart had become hard. So it's not a flippant thing, like a losing of a thing that's flippantly happening all the time. But there can be key moments in your life, those of you who have been born again, where you walk away from the things of God, and as it says of Samson, it will be said of you, you knew not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from you. You knew not that you had left your phone at home. And so I want you to examine yourself today as we get ready to pray in closing, to look at your heart and to examine who you are before God. And if you're not born again, to get born again. And if you have backslid or lost your relationship with Christ, that you come back to Christ. And then the good news is, which by God's grace we'll talk about it next week, you are not only as a Christian supposed to be born of God, you're supposed uh, born of the Spirit, you're supposed to be baptized in the Spirit, evidenced in speaking in other tongues with signs and wonders following your life. Amen? And so today we can get right to that part as well. If you have not yet been baptized in the power of the Spirit, able to do what God commanded only his disciples to do, cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, amen, do these wonderful works, then take this opportunity to do it today. Amen. Altar workers, would you come up? Everyone, would you stand as we uh, get ready to dismiss in prayer? Band and altar workers, we're going to pray for you in just a moment, but would you guys come first? And I just want us to pray once again as we did at the beginning of this service. Father, in the name of Jesus, convict us of any sin that we might have in our heart that doesn't belong. If there are those here today that are not saved, I pray, Lord, they're convicted and will be saved, born of the Spirit right now. If you're here today and you have not been born again, ask Jesus to come into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Believe His Word. Believe His Word. Confess Jesus as Lord today. Ask for a new life, even as I'm praying right now. You can do that. Those of you who have been Christians for years like myself, would you ask the Lord to convict you of anything that is not of Him, sin, righteousness, judgment, so that you could have an assurance of your salvation. There should be nothing wrong today with examining your salvation. Those who are afraid to look at their bank account, have it out of order. Those who are afraid to get on a scale today, have it out of order. You should not fear the truth today. Examine your heart. Face the facts if you claim to be a Christian. Are you who God said you're supposed to be? And then lastly, if you're a born-again Christian here today and have not yet been filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, just begin to ask the Lord to give you the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to pray in other tongues as the Spirit gives you the utterance. We'll, we'll dismiss in just a moment. Anyone can come for prayer even now and after our dismissal as we begin to worship. But I just want to pray a few more moments as you're praying, searching your heart. And those who are already saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, pray for those right now to receive fresh filling, fresh power to get it right now, even for you. Father, I pray right now that everyone will be born again in this place, that your conviction will set in our hearts. For that gentleman that I called a fool by your spirit, led to rebuke him, may he repent in Jesus' name. May backsliders come back. May those who put up their own criteria to what it takes to serve you. May they repent. May we all yield to you to whatever you have for us. Change our lives from the inside out right now, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Can you bless the Lord today, saints? Thank you for coming out today. I pray that you'll be safe as you're going home.